Subscribe to The Spectator this Christmas and get the next 12 weeks of print and online access as well as a bottle of Paul Roger champagne, all for just £12. This offer is available in the UK only. Go to www.spectator.co.uk forward slash Santa to subscribe. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, The Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Max Jeffrey, and I'm joined by James Heal and Isabel Hardman. Nurses in England, Wales and Northern Ireland are on strike today. James, can you tell us what's happening? Sure. Well, the Royal College of Nursing wants a 19% pay rise. Um, says that below inflation increases are compromising care by making it hard to attract and retain nurses. There's obviously been a lot of f- coverage around the fact there's a, a staffing crisis and a staffing shortage within the NHS. Obviously, the government don't want to give them that. Um, Health Secretary Steve Barclay says it's an unaffordable. And of course, you know, you've got the, the whole economic pressures are into the government. But it's the first of two day strikes that's going on. And um, there was potential for perhaps similar strike action in Scotland. But they called it off last week after small negotiation. Isabel, Dame Ruth May, who is England's chief nurse, turned up on the picket line outside St James's Hospital in London this morning. How significant is that? Uh, it's pretty striking, I have to say. It's, uh, I think we were talking yesterday on the podcast about how the political culture of nursing is, is very diff- different to, um, to that of doctors. And uh, Ruth May has always been very much her own person, I think it's fair to say, during the pandemic wasn't prepared to defend uh, apparent breaches of lockdown restrictions by people like Dominic Cummings, for instance. So in a sense, it's not a massive surprise that of all the people to turn up on a picket line, Ruth May is the one. Chief nursing officer is is still an appointment within the Department of Health, though, is effectively a civil servant, sort of advisory role. And number 10's line is that she's not a minister, so she's not speaking for the government. Her quote uh, on the picket line is that she uh, supports striking nurses, that pay isn't a matter for her, but she really wants to see a resolution to the dispute. Now, she obviously wrote a letter with her three fellow uh, nursing officers from across the UK earlier this week to the Royal College of Nursing asking for certain changes to the sort of exemptions for emergency cover and different clinical areas um, in the NHS. And uh, that was largely heeded, but that was in and of itself viewed as being quite a, um, not a hostile act, but quite a provocative act by Ruth May. So I think this is her attempt to say, look, you know, I've, I've asked for some assurances on safety, but actually... I'm speaking for nurses rather than with ministers who at the moment aren't engaging on um, the pay demand, which is an inflation busting 19 percent. And I think most people see that as being they accept that it's unaffordable, but they don't accept the government's line that the current uh, recommendation from the independent pay review body for nurses is fair given how much below inflation, uh, even with inflation apparently falling, that is, and given how hard nurses work and given how well known it is that nurses are not very well paid for for the job and hours and responsibilities that they have. So um, she's not taking a particularly controversial stance in the eyes of the public or in the eyes of her fellow nurses. But I think it will once again underline to ministers that she's not someone they can ever wheel out to um, speak in their favour in a politically tricky spot. I think what Isabel makes a good point about sort of the government not really engaging. And I think there's a sort of unspoken consensus from both parties, really, in that the, the Tories and the government have this line, which is about an independent pay review board. 
And obviously Labour have said they won't be drawn into the detail because it's a really difficult, I think, one for them both to navigate, which is that I'd imagine that a lot of the hearts of Labour MPs and people in Starmer's team are with the, the nurses, obviously. But obviously it's a difficult one to kind of engage in, in politicians having haggling with the actual unions involved. So for both those reasons, I wonder just how, who can make the political capital out of this and whether they'll be able to sort of make any clear blue water between the two parties on it. James, um, on Wednesday night, Jake Berry, former Tory party chair, said that the government's going to need to compromise on their offer. How's this row unfolding within the Conservative Party itself? I mean, there's, I think there's an expectation, perhaps, particularly after we've seen with the uh, recent governments, of which Jake Berry was involved in one of them, often the government says a line that fails to hold the line. I think it would be interesting to see if it does cave on this, how it can not fold to other unions as well, uh, involved in with their pay disputes. Obviously, I think nurses are perhaps a kind of special case. They have a special mind in the British public's heart. And um, I, th- I think whether they can actually keep that going with other sectors is what the key real challenge is. Because I think people will expect some kind of compromise settlement sorted out, as what most Tory MPs who I've spoken to are thinking about. Isabel, the last three episodes of Harry and Meghan's Netflix documentary were released this morning. Harry said that his brother William was screaming and shouting at him and his father was saying things that simply weren't true. What do you make of the recent revelations in the documentary? I mean, I I think a number of things are fascinating about this. One is the readiness of everyone, myself included, to say, oh, we're just so fed up of what Harry and Meghan have got to say while also regularly Googling what they have had to say, which is definitely something that I am... guilty of I I think if I were to pretend to take a moral high ground in this I don't really see who this helps I think it's you know it's it's obviously a a decision that has been made in part with a view to the financial reward that uh, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex get for doing this documentary but you know all the money in the world cannot buy you mental stability and happiness and I can't really think of many ways that are more effective to prolong a family row, to re-traumatise the individuals involved. And yeah, it sounds like Harry and Meghan have been through an awful lot mentally. Um, I'm not sure this is the kind of thing that an ethical therapist would advise somebody who's been traumatised to do, which is to stir everything up, to lay your feelings out to a general audience of people who you know, not all of whom are going to respond uh, particularly well or kindly and to do so in a way that doesn't suggest you want any kind of resolution with with your family. I mean, there are, you know, there are lots of people in the world who have really dysfunctional families and they tend not to benefit from stirring that dysfunction any further. Now, most people in the world obviously don't have access to Netflix to air those grievances. But uh, but I think the you know, the point stands that actually, if you look at this on a human level, it's really sad because the more these allegations are aired and this sort of thing, then the more miserable I think everyone involved ends up being. There's a really good point, I think, in the Saturday Times, which is that Harry and Meghan both dislike the media, but for different reasons. Harry, I think, would rather never be involved in the newspaper again, never have his photograph taken, wants nothing to do, shut them out with them. Meghan, I think it's perhaps she'd like the media on her terms, so she does like the limelight. Of course, you know, she sorted it out. And so that's the kind of fundamental different approach is that she actually likes the media, but only when they say the things that she can control and have kind of kind of cooperating relationship with, whereas I think Harry probably hates the whole circus. And of course, we had that very traumatising incident with his mother. Um, I think the other 
interesting thing, of course, is what does this mean for the coronation next year? Are they going to be invited? Where are they going to be sat? And the whole palaver, the whole sad drama, the circus we played out all over again. And the other thing, of course, I'm just baffled by is why are there so few new news lines or revelations in this when they're getting paid $100 million for it? And the answer is, well, they gave it to Oprah last year for free. Well, that was where the most explosive stuff, and they weren't paid for that. So I don't know really what return Netflix is getting on their investment. But it's obviously, it's, it's sad to read of how they were treated. But I think the worst mistreatment appears to come from the press rather than family so much. And I think a lot of people will look at it and think, what's new here? Thank you, James. Thank you, Isabel. And thank you for listening.